Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Soberlink. The Soberlink system is designed to make parenting time safer with real-time remote alcohol monitoring. Soberlink uniquely combines a breathalyzer with wireless connectivity and is the only system that includes facial recognition, tamper detection, and advanced reporting. Parents can submit a test anytime, anywhere, and have test results delivered automatically to the concerned parties. Simplify co-parenting arrangements by using the system that provides transparency and proof of sobriety throughout the day. Join the thousands of parents who are already benefiting from Soberlink by visiting www.soberlink.com backslash family law. For a limited time, get an exclusive $50 off your device by emailing info at soberlink.com and mentioning Divorce and Beyond. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I want to start by really saying to anyone who has experienced depression or anxiety um, in their lives to know that you're not alone that emotions are there to help tell us something about what we need to do next. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today I am joined again for the second in a series of episodes with the divorce doctor, Dr. Elizabeth Cohen. Um, Dr. Elizabeth joined me last month for an episode that focused on dealing with the emotions of divorce. And I have to tell you that I was just telling her that uh, episode has jumped up to the top 10 episodes of all time of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. Um, And I think that's because she is the divorce doctor. She is the divorce whisperer. She knows how to help you deal with those emotions. So I'm thrilled to have her back for the second in this series. We have a bit more of a serious, well, last month was a serious topic. This month is quite a serious topic. And the fact that Dr. Elizabeth, she is a clinical psychologist. Um, She has a a, um, both in-person and telehealth practice. She practices in New York City and sees patients, um, but also works with clients um, and patients around the world through telehealth. And I just want to remind you all, she also has that very successful and very popular online program, Afterglow. I just, I love that name. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Um, But it's to help people thrive and and shine in their life beyond divorce and heal from the process. But today, you know, we we talked about this and September, um, as we are recording this, September is Suicide Prevention Month. um, And several factors just I, I want to bring to people's attention around depression and anxiety during both divorce and the era of COVID. So I think it's an important thing that we talk about, you know, your susceptibility to depression and anxiety if you're going through divorce, how that may be impacted by the act, the 
uh, more the, you know, the additional pressures of COVID um, and how they lead to, unfortunately, suicide. So one thing I just want to mention before we get start- started, if you are having thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help immediately. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is one 800 273 talk t-l-a-k i'll have that in the show notes but please you know reach out to me reach out to dr elizabeth reach out to someone get some help but you know elizabeth dr elizabeth thank you so much for joining me i'm so happy that we're going to be talking about this today there's so much that people need to know about depression anxiety and suicide absolutely thank you so much susan for having me on again i love talking to your audience and i'm deeply touched to be talking about this really profound and painful experience of suicide. And there, I want to start by really saying to anyone who has experienced depression or anxiety um, in their lives to know that you're not alone, that emotions are there to help tell us something about what we need to do next. So all the emotions that we have we're evolutionarily adaptive in some way because we still have them. And so I talk with clients about, you know, if we didn't have anxiety, then we would, I'd walk across the street in New York City and not look both ways and maybe get flattened by a truck, right? Because I wouldn't be nervous that maybe a car would hit me. If I didn't feel sad when somebody passed away, then I would likely go and do a behavior or engage with work in a way that where I couldn't be focused and I couldn't be productive because I had just had this loss. There's a need to slow down with sadness. And so I want people to know that emotions of sadness and anxiety are normal. In clinical psychology and psychiatry, we diagnose you with a depressive disorder or an anxiety disorder when you start noticing that those normal feelings be- begin to interfere with your daily life. So that might mean that it's hard to get out of bed more than it is for all of us right now, Um, or you're starting to notice you're having more arguments with your partner, or people at work are asking, are you okay? And so very often, I'm mentioning what other people are saying, we need feedback from others about our change in our behavior. So you would be diagnosed with a depressive or anxiety disorder if you had um, symptoms that were consistent for more days than not for two weeks for depression and that it interfered with your life. And so I I want people to be really clear that if you are noticing that these feelings you're having are changing your life right now, reach out for some help. I know it's, I talked in the other um, podcast about how this is a traumatic time, but let's pay attention to any shift in mood because what's the worst that happens? You talk to someone and you realize that you're not having a depressive episode. Great. But I always, I always think, reach out, check, make sure, because the sooner you try to get the help, the more malleable you are to some of the treatments we have. The longer you've been feeling something, it's harder to get out of it. I think a lot of people can probably relate to that. 
Well, and I, I, you know, want to add a couple of um, statistics in here because you just mentioned you want people to know they're not alone. You are so not alone. Um, I, I did a little research um, on the numbers just to give us an idea. So the U.S. Surgeon General says that 30, there's a 30 to 40 percent increase in symptoms of depression and anxiety when people are going through divorce. So 30 to 40 percent. Divorce is up 34% during COVID, and COVID itself, according to a Johns Hopkins survey, is leading to a threefold increase in diagnoses of depression and anxiety. So that's why I called this episode the perfect storm. I mean, if you are going through just living through COVID and the stress and anxiety of this time in our lives, as well as an impact on a relationship that may be not doing well, failing, facing divorce, you are at increased risk right now in this time of perfect storm and need to be aware. So one of the things I want to talk about are that there are differences between anxiety and depression and what some of the symptoms are that, you you know, you mentioned if you're noticing symptoms. Well, tell us, let's take depression. Yeah. What are some of the symptoms that you as a clinical psychologist would mm -hmm. be looking for if you were talking to someone? Great. So we have, it's, I'm so glad you asked this question. So we have criteria, you know, in order to officially diagnose. Um, and there are some behavioral and their cognitive symptoms. So let's go through all of them. The first symptom we look for is depressed mood, um, more days than not. So that's feeling sad, heavy, emotionally, hope, hopeless is another symptom, but it can be part of hopelessness. Really feeling the sadness is really important. I was just telling my teen this actually, that in technically for teenagers, you don't have to just have sadness. You can replace that with irritability. And I would argue you can do that with adults too, because very often the sadness can come out as irritability. And even more so now when we're trapped, there's a feeling of needing to get out and not being able to move. And that can lead to the fight responses we talked about with fight, flight, or freeze. So the first main criteria I would say is feeling sad or depressed, but I would add to that also irritable. The second telltale sign is what we call anhedonia, which is simply not being interested in things you used to be interested in. So for example, you know, you always love to knit and now you look at your yarn and you think, well, how, why did I even do that? It doesn't have to be big things. Like I like, don't like my job anymore, or I'm not happy with this friend anymore. It's really the smaller things that you notice that don't give you pleasure anymore. So that's another thing we're looking for. Some of the behavioral signs, changes in sleep, changes in eating. And it's very important, you know, um, popular culture has the idea of, you know, people who are depressed sleep all the time. It can be either. We look for increased sleep and decreased sleep. Those can both be signs of depression. So can loss of appetite and an increase in appetite. So those are really important. Um, feelings of hopelessness. And this is a hard one right now, right? Like, it's hard to find people who are, who are hopeful, um, but feeling this dread of the future as opposed to a hmm, kind of general dismay with the present. 
So yeah. in, in right in depression, you just think there won't be a light at the end of the tunnel. Like the life is your life is going to be the tunnel. And so it's this feeling of, and if you have ever sat with a friend or a loved one who's depressed, you know, you have all these great ideas for them and they just simply either dismiss all of them or just can't see how any of them would work. And all your ideas are great. It's just that they can't, it, it can't land with them. Another cognitive one is, is being really rejection sensitive, meaning taking a lot of things personally. So feeling like someone forgets a Zoom call or your kid doesn't call you and it's like they don't love you anymore. So things feel, I always describe to clients, more raw. It's like you have a, a cut, a recent cut, and the scab hasn't hasn't healed. Um, it's really hard to function in the world when you feel like a, a raw nerve, right? Yeah. And then the one we're talking about today is having thoughts of ending your life of suicidality. And it's really important for people to understand that wondering if life would be better if you weren't here is what we call suicidal thinking. That is different than thinking that ending your life would be better for you and everyone around you. So as a psychologist, um, we're taught to ask some questions when someone says they're suicidal. Can I go into that? And then I'll talk about yes, it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So first I just want to say that, yes, I am trained to ask questions about suicidality, but I beg all of you that if you have any thought that anyone in your life might be suicidal, please ask them these same questions. There is a huge myth that asking someone if they're suicidal will make it worse or will make them think about it. Let me tell you, the, the poor, devastated souls who have taken their lives have thought about it over and over before they do it. You cannot make someone kill themselves. You cannot make someone think suicide is a good option. The only thing you might be able to do is get them help. So please, I say this over and over to clients, Always ask, always ask, because then that person is at least knowing that someone is seeing them and hearing their experience. So the questions you ask are, have you had thoughts of hurting yourself? Okay. And they say, yes, let's say, and you say, okay, what are those thoughts? Well, I've thought that like, you know, life is really hard and maybe my kids would be better with this divorce is so challenging. And I, this way, my partner will get all the money. Like, I'm just gonna, if I ended it and maybe it would be better for the kids. Okay. Have you thought about how you might kill yourself? And this is one that people get really surprised at because you think, wait, don't I have to go back and tell them not to kill them? No, no, no. Yeah. You need to find out if they have a plan. That is a clinical indication of how likely they are to do it. So research like how shows far down the continuum exactly. they might be. Sure. Right, exactly. Um, so do you have a plan of how you do it? And the other question is, have you ever attempted to kill yourself before? The research shows that the more attempts, the more likely success is. So that's an important question. And so if you're getting a yes to that, that they've attempted, and yes, I have a plan. As a therapist, we say, what is the plan? And then we find out, okay, so you would take your pills Let's say, for example, in a case of mine, okay, how many pills do you have at home? Well, I have a lot. Okay, have you been holding them? You know, you really get into the nitty gritty to understand is how possible is this? Essentially, like, can I keep my eyes off of this person or do I need to call 
someone right away. In my case, it would be, you know, calling someone to put them potentially to get reevaluated more intensely. But for a friend, it would be call their parent, call their friend, call your friend. If you're a kid, call your parent. Um, But don't be afraid to ask these questions because no one's ever asked them these questions. And if they are considering it, it's going in their mind all the time. And so please just don't be afraid. And we are really the only ones, the people who hear and ask the questions, but the only ones who have a chance of shifting it. So don't be afraid to ask. And that's that's so important. I, I mentioned to you earlier that early in my days as an attorney, a divorce attorney, I had a client in the middle of his divorce who ended his life. Um, and I will say the repercussions of that have lasted with me. It changed my career at the time that that happened. Um, and it has lasted with me for a number of years because of that question of could I have done something more mm-hmm. to help him? Um, we did try um, and, and there were a number of things. So I love that you you raise these questions and give people some affirmative questions that can be asking people things to do. Um, it, but, you know, for those who are listening, who are going through divorce and are, de- are feeling some of those symptoms that mm-hmm. you uh, mentioned about depression, but it's not rising to perhaps the level of taking their life, but they still, you know, I've been, I've been diagnosed as clinically depressed at times mm-hmm. in my life. Um, I'm seasonally affected. So every year it's September, I'm coming into my time um, and I know it. And so some of those symptoms that you talked about are very common in my life where I know sleeping too much, eating too much, those things. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but I know them, I've been educated on them. I know what to do about that. And I know how to change that in my life. What if somebody is experiencing those symptoms, should they do to get help? You say, reach out for help. Well, what does that mean? Yeah, great. I'm so glad you asked that. So there's a lot of different ways that people can get help, which is wonderful. So there are, you know, there's the classic um, kind of psychotherapy where you can meet now telehealth one-on-one with a, a therapist. Um, there are lots of different, what we call modalities or different approaches. So a lot of times what people see on TV is not what they see in the, in the real world. So I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist. So if you were to see me or somebody in my practice, we would focus, for example, on thoughts. So we would, we would say, okay, so you're feeling hopeless and you're feeling like this situation with your divorce is never going to end. I talk about this in my program too. Let's talk about other difficult times you've gone through and how they ended and how you got there. So we try to kind of retrain the brain from this only thinking one way to be a bit more flexible. And then we also involve really um, getting the body on board. We do something called behavioral activation. So um, we, we schedule people. First, we look at your daily schedule, which is the first thing I would recommend to anyone who's feeling depressed. Take out a piece of paper or use this on your phone. Record what you do every hour. And because very often you'd be shocked, Susan, people, lo- I mean, they lose time and they don't realize what they're doing and they don't realize the holes in their schedule when the depression has a ch- kind of has a chance to fester more. Yeah. And what can, and we kind of help people put in there an alternative and it can be very small. Like a big one for, for my clients is taking a bath or calling a friend or touching the grass, like very small things that can kind of shift you behaviorally, um, you know, moving your body. And that doesn't just have to be exercise that can be shaking or having a dance party. So, um, traditional psychotherapy is, and I'm speaking about cognitive behavioral therapy is one way to, to help depression. 
Another way is to speak with a psychiatrist or a psychopharmacologist um, about medication. There's no shame in needing medication. <laughs> I actually tell a lot of clients that sometimes you can't actually do the therapy work until you have the medication because you're just too down or, or too up with anxiety. And there's no shame in that. You just, we want to get you better, however that can be for now. And we'll talk about the long-term plan. A lot of clients worry, we can do a whole thing on medication, but a lot of clients worry about, my God, will I be on this forever? Will it numb me? Like, no and no. Um, so that's an option. And then there's lots of different kinds of group therapy you can have as well. And so that's another um, possibility. And now people are doing that online. Yeah, which is wonderful. You know, we mentioned at the top of the episode that you do telehealth, that you work with people online. There's also group therapies that are done online. Um, some of the things that my therapist has had me do to work through my seasonal affective disorder is uh, yoga, meditation, journaling, uh, you know, a, a mere, going for yeah. a walk with my shoes off in the grass. You mentioned touch the grass. That's a big one for me. Yeah. Uh, in Chicago, I didn't have a lot of grass. <laughs> I'm now at our country home and we, we have this, some grass here. And, and I, that's what I do in those breaks in my day. I get myself yeah. outside and let my face feel the sun yes. or touch yeah, the and grass. Affirmations are great. Journaling is great. Prompts are great. And then I, I, I can't believe I didn't mention this, but the mo one of the most important preventative pieces of depression and the isolation of depression is social support. So just having, you know, three Zoom calls a week scheduled that you just have so that you can connect. And even if when you're talking to your friend, you're not feeling um, that excited to get into it, not to worry, just show up for it and you'll, you'll feel the effects. That's the same thing with moving your body. One of the, one of the hardest things, of course, for everyone who's depressed is the um, initiating, initiating the good behavior. And yeah. so we, we do a lot of cognitive work around that. And really you can use um, affirmations like I deserve to feel better. That's why I'm going to take a walk in the grass, but really you need to kind of actively train your brain and your body because the depression is holding you back and you, you're trying to push through. That's why treating depression and being depressed is so challenging because it's such the anti, like what you need to do. It's like, so, you know, it's so frustrating when your friends are like, Oh, have you tried to, you know, work out? You're like, uh, yeah. You think I like, it's like all those ideas. I know the ideas. I can't get my body it's to do it. Doing so, them. That's what um, sometimes medication helps with, and that's what also therapy can help with, which is kind of getting you to do it. Hey, everybody. It's Susan, and I'm taking a quick break to ask you all for a big favor. If you like the show, if you think it's helped you, I'd love for you to leave me a review, hopefully five stars, on your favorite podcast platform. I really want to get the word out about the show to anyone who's looking for help to get through their divorce and, as you know, beyond. Um, so if you would do that for me, I'd really appreciate it. I also love to hear from you. So please feel free to email me your questions, your comments, or just let me know how you're doing in your case or if a show helped you. You can reach me at divorceandbeyondpod at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow both me and the show on Instagram. That's at divorceandbeyond and at Susan Guthrie ESQ. Stay tuned for more from Susan and her guest, Dr. Elizabeth Cohen. 
discussing the rise of depression and anxiety in the face of divorce and COVID. And the question is, can you allow it? Talk about this like in my office, like can it, can it be here on the mantle with us while we continue in the process of divorce? So can you have the anxiety and still take steps to take care of yourself? If you are enjoying this episode, check out Moving On From Divorce with Michelle Dempsey-Maltock. And I love the lemons into lemonade concept because that's really what life is all about. You can sit there with the bitterness and be miserable, or you can find a way to make lemonade. And why not do that? And now we return to today's show. And I know that we've talked now about depression and yeah. in, you know, there's a lot we could talk about with, we could do a whole episode just on depression, but sure. I also, I think for many, many, many people, either going through just the world of COVID, going through a divorce, going through anything in life right now, anxiety is on the rise. Mm-hmm. And that is a different diagnosis and has different symptoms. They can coexist, like anxiety and depression are often, I think, diagnosed together, but yeah. what's the difference? What is anxiety? What are the mm-hmm. what are the symptoms of anxiety? Mm-hmm. So I just want to explain this from the fr- framework of the because um, I always like to get back to the body and the evolutionary adaptive pieces of it because I think the body is just so amazing. We're an amazing organisms. So when something scary is happening, as we talked about in the last um, podcast about when there's a trauma, you have fight, flight, or freeze. So essentially, we just talked about freeze, which is depression. So the response to a trauma is to to shut down, to slow down. They call it like the gas and the brakes at the same time. Um, Anxiety, it can be fight or flight. It is the activation. It's the body going into overdrive instead of underdrive. And so it can, and that's why it's so great that you pointed out, like people can be feeling, first of all, they can be feeling both and you can cycle between both. Like there's no, there is yeah. no, like, and I, when I was in grad school, we did a lot of research really trying and they're still trying to understand, um, is there really actually a difference? Like, is it the same disorder, but different manifestations? So, um, so as far as anxiety, I would say that it's the overactivation response to a stressor. And so um, anxiety can be seen in so many different ways. Um, we ha- a lot of people's anxiety, interesting, are, which is why I like this, are in the body. So, um, you know, you have heart racing, you have sweating, you have tummy aches, you have headaches. And I love to tell this, this um, story because um, this, I was trained initially to treat panic disorder. That was like the special the clinic I went to to learn exactly how to do cognitive behavioral therapy for panic disorder. And we teach there that the anxiety response is perfect if there is a threat there, which I think I talk, might have talked about a little bit in the podcast. So things like um, sweating, it, you need to cool your body off because you're building more lactic acid in your big muscles so that you can fight. And so your stomach might start hurting you because all the blood from your stomach is rushing to your heart that starts beating quicker so you can run. So your physiological response in, to, in anxiety is our body's natural response to something really scary. So you always need to start with anxiety, reminding yourself, I had to do this this morning with something that triggered me, that you're safe. That in this moment right now, I don't know what's going to happen next week. I don't know what's going to happen later this afternoon, but I'm sitting here 
I'm feeling my butt in the chair and my life is not in danger in this one moment. And so much in that. Wow. That's, that's, if we can, if we can connect to each moment feeling safe and okay, then we can focus on what we have to move forward and do next. It's the feeling of lack of safety that really drives anxiety and lack of safety from, and and a big area for many people is the unknown. And so that's why I talk about like, okay, we don't know, but let's get back to right now. What do you know right now? Well, I can have a drink of this water and talk to Susan. I can see the flowers on my desk. Like that's pretty much it. But it's something, it's something to hold on to. And this really strikes me that you know, for people going through divorce, I always talk about divorce limbo, yeah. right? The future, that is what divorce is. It's this horrible rung of hell where you don't know what your future looks like. So, of course, anxiety is going to be provoked and fear. Um, what a, what a, yeah. it's just a, a perfect. It's appropriate. And it's appropriate, yes, it's the right? right it's, response. It's totally appropriate. And the question is, can you allow it? talk about this like in my office like can it, can it be here on the mantle with us while we continue in the process of divorce so can you have the anxiety and still take steps to take care of yourself and that's where the present moment i am safe happens it's not a denial of the anxiety because you might have a lot of real reasons to be anxious but in this moment can i feel the safety so i can take the next right step for myself in the divorce you know, one thing I wonder as we're talking about this, because I have listeners, but male and female, mm-hmm. and I think one of the things that I read was that both depression and anxiety can strike the sexes differently, that the symptoms can be um, manifested differently amongst the sexes. How does that shake out um, for for those who are listening, you know, the, my male listeners or my female listeners? Well, I want to say to your male listeners, you know, you've got a, oof, you've got a really hard kind of steep mountain to climb because we live in a world that really does not allow men, cisgendered men to express their emotions and have emotions and have vulnerability. I mean, you know, a lot of research for years has shown that more women report anxiety and depression. But the important word there, I think, is report. Um, We're more comfortable, maybe too comfortable with thinking everything is our fault, potentially, for women. Um, But men have not had role models or spaces to really say that they're struggling. Um, So I think that it is painful but so important for men to start showing up for each other in this way, to be vulnerable, to show that it's okay and that help is available. Yeah. Well, and I've talked about that on other episodes, say with some of my divorce coach colleagues and friends that they end up working with women much more often than men, not because they don't want to work with men, but men don't reach out for help or don't maybe don't acknowledge or know that they need the help as much um, or as often. I do think men are put, I think there's a stigma around talking about your mental health no matter yeah. your sex. Yeah. Uh, for men, I think it's even harder. Yeah. And we were talking about this right before too. I think there's a, a really bad stigma too about getting mental health help when you're going through a divorce. I just had someone recently ask me who really needs a psychiatric evaluation. 
do you think it would hurt me in court? And I said, honestly, it will hurt you so much more in your heart if you don't do this. And so I think that's especially true for men, this fear. There's so much fear that they'll lose custody. You know, if they, if they seem like they're depressed, right, or if they imagine saying you were suicidal, you know, then you're not safe to be with the kids. Like, please, like, it will make you so much safer if you get the help for your, safer with yourself. So. And I've gotten that question as a divorce attorney as well around mental health help, around substance abuse help. You know, if I go get substance abuse help, aren't I making myself clearly a threat to my children? And I'm like, no, you're showing that you acknowledge there's an issue and you're getting the help for it. And it's the same thing with mental health help. I mean, there's... there's nothing more important than getting the support and help that you need so that you can be the best parent, uh, parent that you can Exactly. It's the whole, you know, putting the oxygen, like they say, when you get on the plane, right? You have to put the oxygen mask on yourself first before the child. Also, I want everyone to remember that when you worry about going to see a mental health provider or do a group or admit that you have a mental health struggle, Think about the message you're sending to your kids. You know, if your kid came to you and said, I was depressed, would you say, well, maybe you should suck it up a little more? Like, would you say the things that you say to yourself? Probably not. So also know that if you can't, I say this sometimes to clients, like if you can't do it for yourself, maybe do it for your kids. Because if they ever struggle like this, I'd like them to know that there's help out there. And if you, there's no, you can say it till you're blue in the face, but if they see that you're depressed and you're not getting help, they're not going to believe it. Right. You know, that's so, uh, I have uh, Michelle Dempsey Multak on my show this week and what she said, her mantra throughout her divorce and through life and how she lives her life, she said her entire life was changed when she became a mother. And she said, and I love this phrase, I actually posted it this morning, is be the person you want your child to be. And and I as opposed to you know be the person you want your ch- children to see, which is what I okay. hear people saying all the time. But you know, model for your children the person that you would like for them to be in life. And she exactly. lives that way. It's so powerful. And what you just said is so powerful. I love that. I can see the I can see the Instagram quote already <laughs> that I'm going to be putting out from this episode. Yeah. But you know, yeah. the one thing we I skipped over and I don't want to miss it is so anxiety. If people yeah. are feeling that they recognize some of those symptoms, mm-hmm. what what do you, I mean, I'm sure there's get help, but what yeah. help is there for dealing with anxiety? Yeah. So similarly to the different roles, there's psychotherapy, there's medication, there's group therapy. Um, I really believe also, we talked about this in the other episode, that if you're feeling anxiety, you might be triggered from an earlier trauma. So you might need to work through some of that trauma. Again, in individual therapy would be ideal. Um, I do cognitive behavioral therapy and a therapy called somatic experiencing therapy. And so interestingly, um, kind of ground, what I was teaching about grounding in the moment, we, we would teach that in more, um, in kind of like in a deeper way. So we would cater that to the individual person and we would do some cognitive work too of, um, I, think, I don't know if I talked about this on the last podcast, but the two questions to ask yourself when you're having anxiety is, have I had this fear before and what happened? So have I been through this before and what happened? What is the probability 
of the feared consequence actually happening and do a fraction. So this is a very common one when people have fear of flying. So I'm afraid of flying. Okay, why? I'm afraid it's going to crash. Okay. Some people get afraid because they don't like to be stuck in the airplane. That's another piece. But if you're afraid of the crash, I actually have people look up the number of how many flights um, still today take off. And so I remember at one point when I was doing this in the United States, it was 30,000. Okay, how many crashes have there been this week? How many crashes have there been? And you look at the fractions and they'll say there was a crash. Okay, there was a crash, but let's take the, let's look at the denominator. And so then we kind of carry that percentage. So that's the probability. And then how bad, like the, the first one I talked about was what we call catastrophizing, which is, I think this is terrible, but have I been through something else and was I able to handle it? So those are two cognitive questions I would ask myself in anxiety. Those are, I, I, I love that. I actually was in a plane crash. So oh. that, I'm one You're of those. still people. a good example yeah. because you were in a plane crash because and I you lived through it. it. That's what I always tell people. I'm like the best person to fly with because I've already lived through that one plane crash. So. Exactly. And also how many, how many flights have you taken? Even you as an individual, like how many flights have you taken? Probably hundreds. Hundreds. And yeah. you had one. So even right. your One. own percentage of actually having it, like, it's still terrible that it happened, but the likelihood that, you know, but, hey, that happened is still it. small. Exactly. It doesn't make me love flying, but definitely. So, <laughs> um, but one, so one thing we've been talking about as we, as we sort of come to the end of our time, but I, I want to sort of bring this full circle because yeah. I do, you know, these are issues for people going through divorce at any time. But as we sit here in the era of COVID, mm. we, you know, the increase in, you know, diagnoses of depression which and anxiety, which I was talking about, um, the increase of prescriptions for anti-anxiety and anti-depression medications are way up. Um, divorce is way up. People having trouble in all different ways is way up. And I think, you know, I was reading an article and I just wanted to point out, you know, you were talking about the things that cause depression, anxiety, the the fact that it's the unknown and all of the stressors that are going on. So let's just think about some of these. People right now are suffering the trauma from wide, the widespread disease that this is just an ongoing thing in, in the world, not just our country, but the world. Grief over losses of life. People are dying every day from this. Fear ourselves of getting sick. You know, that this is something that, you know, so you're talking about being anxious about something. There's unprecedented social distancing that has gone on for this extended period of time. Uh, people are going through job loss, financial concerns, loss of income, all kinds of things that are very practical and financial impacts. A loss of our community. I'm not, I'm seeing you right now, Elizabeth, and it's wonderful, but I'd love to be in New York City going out for a cup of coffee or dinner or doing something. And it's just not a possibility for so many of us right now. Um, and then here's one that I don't think people are as aware of, reduced access to caregivers and mental and to health providers. Yes, yes people are ava available through telehealth, but people aren't even aware that that's possible. So there's so much that's happening in our world world right now in this confluence of circumstances that is increasing the chances or the possibility that you might be suffering some of these symptoms or exacerbating the symptoms. Yeah. I want to mention one more, which is all this relocation of adult children and children and 
school and going back to school and do we send and don't we send and holding our breath and not knowing and not enough. And, you know, um, that's a big unknown too. Yeah. And that's actually an excellent point. I know everybody's kids are going back to school somehow right now, but uh, just the stress that my friends and colleagues have been under as to whether the kids were going back in person, whether they were going back at home and the stress around those, sending them back, but are they in danger keeping them at home? How are we going to provide their educational for their educational needs? Every day seems to bring more and more stressors or, or, complications in our lives that are not things that we've dealt with in the past. So yeah. it, it's, you know, we're really in that area of, uh, and in a space of time where we sh- we need to be even more aware of our mental health and that there are options and help out there. Absolutely. And if you have a, if you're questioning for a moment that this might be more depressed or more anxious than you usually are, talk to somebody call, you know, call that helpline or call a therapist. People can reach out to me and I'm happy to help them find referrals just to have a 15 minute call with somebody to find out like, is this really something you need helped? And how could we help you? Let's just, just try, just say yes. Instead of saying no, because as you described, there's so many reasons why this is a difficult time. And I am thinking, and maybe this will be our next podcast, but one of the thoughts I had is underlying a lot of this is how, how much we all struggle with um, emotion regulation and communication, like that we also aren't getting a lot of our needs met, and how do we do that? And found, anyway, that was does not have good to be included, one. but I good just thought one. of that. No, but we we will talk about that in the next <laughs> one, and because I do want to remind everyone, Dr. Elizabeth is coming back next month, so yeah. she'll be with us in October as well as and beyond. Um, <laughs> so we're going to have several podcasts, and in the next month, I know a couple of people, or actually several people, have sent in some questions. We will be going over those with Dr. Elizabeth in the next episode. So I encourage encourage everybody to send in your questions. This is your chance to ask the divorce doctor anything. Um, so please uh, send in your questions, your comments. Uh, it's divorceandbeyondpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And you mentioned people can reach out to you for a referral. Yeah. Um, you also have resources on your website. Tell people how to get in touch with you and, and yeah. find uh, your website. Sure. People can find my website at drdrelizabethcohen.com. And I'm also at The Divorce Doctor on Instagram. Um, When you go to my website, you can easily connect to me and contact me, um, send me your information, and we could set up a call. I also have resources on there like how to have a stress-free divorce. I also have a blog on how to pick the right therapist for you. Um, And I have a how to bust worries in four steps. So I have a lot of like free information for people that you know, depending on the level of intensity of their feelings can really help. So reach out, continue to reach out. And if you don't feel comfortable yet reaching out to a professional, please reach out to a trusted friend. You're not alone. Everyone. You are not. You are not alone. No. And, and by and, the way, it makes people feel, you know, a lot of people who are depressing, oh, my friends, they can't, I have a blog on this too, about how to talk to your friends when they're depressed, but, oh, I don't want to talk to my friends anymore because they're so tired of hearing from me. No, people love vulnerability. When you share when, how something is hard for you, then that other person realizes they're human too. You, you feel heard and seen. No one is perfect. Um, Instagram is just a highlight reel. It's not really, what's, you know, I always say to people, don't compare your outsides, your insides to other people's outsides. 
that's, I mean, just people check out Brene Brown. Vulnerability, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> you know, worked for her. Exactly. For all it will work for you. Yes. Um, I also don't want to miss telling people again about Afterglow tell, oh, because sure. it's such a wonderful program. So tell oh, people thank about you Afterglow. so much. Yes. So Afterglow, The Light at the Other Side of Divorce is my online program. It's a video series. It's, this is focused for women on how to heal and to thrive, not just survive after your divorce. Um, it's a comprehensive program, essentially kind of like therapy in a bottle online. Um, for those of you who really believe that this can be the next chapter and it doesn't have to be painful to go through a divorce. So please join me there. That's at drelizabethcohen.com backslash afterglow. I will have links to everything in my uh, in the show notes. As you all know, I always say divorce is an opportunity. Afterglow will help you find those opportunities. So I encourage you to look at that. And one last note, again, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is one 800 273 talk. It's, sometimes it's easier to just talk to a neutral person online or on a phone, reach out. They also have the website. I will have all of that information in the show notes as well. But Dr. Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming back this, this month and mm. such an important topic for everyone. You are not alone. You are not. You are not alone. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.